Hello, everyone, and welcome to the stacks. Uh, this is Jay. And I am Iron Man. I'm Shanna. Uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man, our, our picture this week, uh, the 1989, I think it's the debut film of uh, Shinya Tsukamoto. I uh, don't believe so. I'm looking at the uh, the back of the box right now. Yeah, that's. I did research. I'm looking at a box, <laughs> <laughs> and it is uh, quite a piece of work. Uh, it's oh, it's boy. very intense. It's uh, grimy. It's grungy. It's very gross at times. It hurts to look at and watch and listen to, and I loved it. It's it's very industrial. Just a lot of pounding. Uh, metal both just in, in terms of the visuals as well as the score like i think the score uses a lot of repurposed metallic objects for percussion there's a lot of clanging uh oh, i i kind of thought it was like synthesized well there's some kind of, of also that reminded too. me a little bit of like uh, not nine inch nails there's someone there... i'm thinking of it'll come back to me uh but yeah, it's it's more of a European uh, uh, arty industrial, like the Einstezende Neubautens. You know, it, it's a, a very heavy, hard-edged, weird clatter of noise, and there's a lot of real factory sound. Uh, and a lot of it seems to be filmed in sort of an abandoned factory area in Japan. You, you got a lot of big abandoned machinery here. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't tell how much of this was filmed in a factory and how much of it was just somebody just got a bunch of junk together and then sat in the middle of it. Yeah, and it's and it there's feels, a lot of that. There's a lot of people just in a, a palace of their own junk, uh, connected to it, burrowed into it. Uh, it's very fetishistic, of course, of machinery and metal. And, and like the camera plays fetishistic. Uh, with the way it looks at machinery and metallic objects. Um, yeah, I noticed uh, at the beginning, at least, you didn't get a good look at anything. Yeah, no, it, things just move by fast, and you, you get a lot of extreme close-ups to sort of make things look alien. Uh, you, you don't really see exactly what they are. You just get metal and texture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is... Uh... This is one of those movies I think would look like ass if it was done on CGI. Oh, yeah, it would look so, so this lame. Would, oh, it would be terrible. Uh, but instead, this is really cheap practical effects, but very effective and very weird. Um, so our first character that we're introduced to, I don't think the character even has a name. Uh, Nobody he's has just, a name. Right, nobody has a name. Yeah. Uh, this guy is just the metal fetishist. Uh, -huh. uh and <laughs> i i think when you were watching this first scene right away you emailed me and or not emailed you messaged me and said i'm already very upset <laughs> yeah yeah that, i was at the point where he took the metal bar um the i didn't screw. know what he was gonna do with it yet oh yeah uh, when, but when he, he just put it in his mouth and just dragged it across his teeth yeah he erotically Ooh. drags it through his teeth uh and I then i guess it's erotic well, I think to him it's erotic. Oh yeah, yeah, no to him it is. He and he he gouges a horrible hole in his leg. Uh, yep. 
and and then he drives the screw into the wound and then duct tapes it into the wound like i don't think it's screw i think this is like a solid chunk of rebar yeah that might be right like it's it's a big chunk it's for big sure. it's it's, uh, it's but like small. it's coiled it's it, it has the coil of a screw in it it's like yeah, a, it's along it's the like outside. a piece of threaded rod yeah 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 um uh yeah, and then so he jams it. Ooh. We're we're like 30 seconds into the beginning of this movie right now. Oh yeah, right like now. this this takes off. It it hits the ground running. It uh, does he, not stop. He he gouges a wound into his leg and jams a piece of metal bar into it. Uh and then oh, just like you can see my face right now. <laughs> and the, and then, the things I'm doing with my body as you say this. <laughs> and and then like him duct taping it shut immediately <laughs> to to like seal it in there. Uh and of course kind of like uh our 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 Tim Madden smash cut to jail we we smash cut to it horribly infested oh it's got maggots you can see them and they're real well they're they're clearly real maggots that they Uh that they used for for props and ooh and he screams he 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 starts screaming and then he starts I guess running he just starts running through the streets in a panic now it's important to note this is not just a this isn't shot this isn't a shot of a person running through a street this is just the street is going by so fast well, and it's, it's like a first person shot most of the time sometimes it's, it's, yeah you you get a lot of these stop motion shots where it's just them moving through space and just space moving around them yeah they're uh, standing still and the streets going around them it's really neat it's, so, it's cool. so cool it's such a great effect that they do and and it recurs throughout the film in a lot of different ways i think especially when they have rocket boots later on oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> anytime anyone's going anywhere this is how yeah. they do it which is so much cooler than the normal way of getting places in a yep. movie especially like i don't need to know you drove somewhere but if you used rocket boots i probably want to know about it well they're not rocket boots we'll get into it they're <laughs> yeah not boots. I mean, they're, they're not boots um <laughs> So, and I guess one of the other things about the style is it's very much like uh, a manga. It, it doesn't really have, it, it doesn't feel like a movie. It feels like a manga, both just in terms of the way characters interact, uh, in the wild interactions, in the way fight scenes happen, and in oh, yeah, those interstitial sequences of movement. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a couple weird fight scenes. Part of it also reminds me of... Like one of the things I think I mentioned when I was watching it is I feel like I'm watching the world's longest or maybe second longest tool music video. Yeah, yeah. It, it has a lot of like I, I would say it was probably a huge influence on them. Oh, very likely. Like, yeah, the, there was one shot in particular where he's just got like these wires coming out of the side of their head. And I'm like, that's just like the tool video that I don't remember which one. <laughs> I don't remember either. I was yeah. a very big Tool fan, uh, and and I like their new album too. It was pretty dang good, uh, but I have not listened to their old stuff in a while. I really should go back to it sometime. Well, it's it's on my it's on my common rotation. I get to it all the time. <laughs> like I haven't lately. It's it's solid rock, solid stuff. Like that second album is one of my all time favorites. Which, uh. Sorry. On a, on a. <laughs> right right I love so that one. good incredible uh h what a song uh so 
where we were at was the metal fetishist uh, infested and screaming and running through the streets in a panic. Uh, and it's possibly my very favorite moment of the movie because he's struck by a jazzy romantic music cue. Oh yeah, that's right. He, he runs out into the street. Yeah, it ha- the exact same qu- one is used twice, but like he steps out of the street and there's just this jazzy, sexy sax music and like there, there's a close up of the car bumper and it just sort of sways, you know, kind of eroticizing the grill of the car as he's being struck. I never thought about it that way, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of like Crash yeah. in, in a few ways. It, it sort of predates it. I, I think this is seven years before the movie, but uh, a while after the book. Uh, so, you know, c- perhaps a little bit of cross-pollination there. I haven't seen Crash. Oh, I love Crash. Uh, a great, great movie. Uh, wild, gross, uh, very, very strange, erotic thriller of sorts. Uh, it's Cronenberg who usually does body horror, but this is just, you know, about eroticized car crashes. It's like car crash fetishists. Oh, boy. That yeah. sounds fun, crazy bad. It's it's pretty wild. It, like, it's it's very good. It's it's pretty classy. Like, I think it may even have been nominated for some Oscars or something. And maybe it was a little too extreme for them in 96, but... <laughs> Uh, it's very good. Uh, we'll we'll totally have to watch it sometime. I, I do right have on. it. Yay. Uh, but yeah, just him getting hit by the car and it being this sort of romance sequence. Uh, it, it, it like drags along the headlights. There's this sort of drunken swaying. We get that sexy jazzy sax music. Uh, it's cool. And then there's just a loud crash noise. Uh, and then finally we get the opening credits and I, and I say, finally, it's like a lot has already happened, but we are probably like two, three minutes in two or three minutes in, but I feel like I've watched almost a whole movie at this point. Like we've already been introduced to this one character and so much has happened. We watched uh, him, him presumably die, um, after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so there's this big crash uh, and we get the the opening title sequence is super cool. Uh, it's this montage of wreckage and machinery. And we see uh, who will turn out to be our main character. Uh, and he's dressed in his full salaryman outfit, uh, just having an industrial dance freak out. Yeah, he doesn't he's not happy about this industrial dance he's doing. He doesn't want to be doing it, but he has to. <laughs> it's an overpowering need uh so like he's just standing in uh, the the cameras like pan over him you you have all this machinery pounding around him uh and he's just like screaming <laughs> uh head banging and like just stuff is happening under his suit like he yep. he seems to be gruesomely mutating but we never see any of it because it's all happening underneath his salaryman suit yeah, which uh, uh, I almost wanted to call him Nerdlinger, but no, no. Salaryman is not a Nerdlinger. No, it's no. It's a is, very it, different class of person. It is a very specific category. Uh, and so only it's, it's a very Japanese thing. We, I don't think we have an equivalent in North America. 
No, I don't think so, really. Uh, and, and it is like a very specific element of Japanese culture. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and this movie, like, it, it is sort of discussing that. Like, it, it is sort of about salaryman culture in some weird ways. Uh, and sexuality, uh, of course. Very, very much about sexuality in, in uh, twisted ways. <laughs> Uh, and then the title scrolls in huge letters made of white noise. Oh, it's so good. I, I, awesome. I, for some reason, I had it in my head that this movie was made in like 1968. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, this is incredible for 60. And then the white noise comes by. It's like, oh, 88. Yeah, yeah. 88. Or That's eight, not 89. 89, yeah. actually. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, wow. So cool. Mm hmm. Um, so after this frantic, frantic opening, you would expect to have just, you know, just an ordinary scene of this guy's life after all this stuff happened to him. No, 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 no. Nope. He, uh, wakes up and he, he goes to look in the mirror to shave, uh, and he finds one of the bristles is really persistent. <laughs> and then, well, what did it turn out to be? So it's a piece of metal that's sticking out. Uh, and he squeezes it and just blood squirts out huge just all over the all over the mirror and all over his face. Oh, so much blood for such. A, it's like he popped the world's biggest metal zit. Yeah, it's it's like a pipe to his blood uh, that like he just opened by squeezing it. Right now, is this one of the times where we cut to? Just very briefly, like after he squeezes it, the guy in his little metal den. Uh, like I every now and again, so we cut back yet. to this guy. Yeah, and, no, uh, the, the dude who's like, yeah, I totally know what you mean. And I don't know what that is. Because it's, it's like there's these interior shots of this like internal pilot in a chest cavity. Like it's piling, piloting a body like a mech suit. Is that, that the one thing you're talking about? That's what I'm thinking of but it's like i don't know what it I is because we the there's a bunch of shots of it because it just looked like he was just in this thing of junk i did get the feeling that he was controlling something yeah i never I figured it out i i totally don't know what those bits are they uh, like it's always struck me as being within a chest cavity because uh later in the fight with the lady from the train station uh there's there's a thing about that uh, which I guess I'll get back to, but uh, beyond oh, yeah, that, no, you're right. That that's where he shows up first. Well, like I I think there's a few shots of that first, but that's where there's like uh, I I feel like it gets damaged in in a part where they're uh, sort of like uh, it's not a hug, but like a, a violent uh, breaking embrace, like to to crush. Uh, and, and I feel like something happens to the thing in the interior there, but I don't really get what its thing is. No, no, I don't either. Uh, but what we get here is that uh, we, we get him having breakfast uh, and it's this very surreal scene. He has all of these cats uh, sort of patrolling around him and he's, I think, on the phone with his girlfriend or is she there? And he's no, just he's saying the hello. Phone. They're just, just saying, saying hello back and forth. Yeah. Over and over. Weird. Uh, very, very surreal, but like 
it's one of these things like is this just uh supposed to be the representation of uh the the static lame culture of the the day-to-day salary man could be is it like is this thing even happening is any of this happening i don't know uh <laughs> we, we, this is the first time we, and this is the other thing I thought you might have been referring to, is where uh, we get all of these inserts of fuzzy video footage, uh, in this case of them having sex in the woods. And at this point, I kind of feel like it's it felt like it was a fantasy, uh-huh. uh, although we later learn it's a flashback. But not, but not our main man's flashback. No, it's, it's we'll not see. him that saw it. No. <laughs> uh, it's it's footage uh, that exists, I guess, uh, in in a yeah, mind. I, I should actually watch this again because yeah, totally. every time it looks like it's through a TV screen, I guess, is going to be a flashback from someone. Well, we'll, we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah. we'll exactly. get to it. Yeah. Uh, and. We we get like a close up of him just drenched in sweat after this. Uh, I like I guess he's also experiencing the flashback, being as he can receive these things now, presumably. Uh, and we it cuts to him just drenched in sweat, uh, and his girlfriend is complaining about how distant he's been since the accident, and it's like she participated in a hit and run with him. <laughs> yeah, you can understand why maybe we just. Look, we just ran over a guy. Um, maybe we shouldn't talk to each other for a little bit. Just, you know. She she does it. She seems very blasé about it. It doesn't seem to uh, have affected her uh, in, in much of a way. Um, well, it didn't seem to have affected him either until it did. Well, it's hard to say because we we don't have much in between. <laughs> we just have him with metal coming out and is like, "What is going on here?" And it's not clear how long it's been either. Other than that, that like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like in the movie, we're on about what the six minute mark. Yeah, I mean, this all happens very quickly. Uh, so he goes out and sees a dead thing but it's also mechanical and it looks like it's sort of a bird it's like a birds aren't real conspiracy theory thing oh okay. it's like this weird dead fake bird it's it's very strange like there there seems to be an organic but also metal thing that exists somewhere here that that he finds this dead thing i i think in the subway in the yeah in the subway um Nobody else seems to be acknowledging it right away. Yeah, and he really wants to touch it, uh, but he decides to poke it with a pencil instead. Uh, And then there's the lady next to him who has some sort of weird thing, and we don't see what it is. Just like, I think it's under a, a blanket. Right. Oh, it's when he pokes the thing with the pencil. That's where we see the I'm going to call him the pilot because I don't know what he is. Yeah, the pilot sounds totally reasonable. Right. OK, I think we do see him there. Yeah. And the, it, it, is it then that he notices the the weird lady next to him who's like vigorously yeah. brushing something? Yeah, she's like scratching at something, but it sounds like like sandpaper it sounds like brushing but she's scratching yeah 
Uh, and it's not really clear what it is she, like that she's after. Like, I, I think it's under some clothing or under a blanket, but she seems weird. Uh, and Tetsuo takes off. Uh, he runs up some stairs away from the train platform. He he's suddenly in severe distress uh, and the lady starts following him. Uh, and pretty soon she's full on chasing him and she's wildly spasming. She has a forehead wound and she's gesturing at him with whatever this thing is that she's got on. It sort of looks kind of like the alien face hugger here. Oh, oh, you mean on the face? Well, like when oh. she has it on her arm. Uh, before yeah. we realize it's actually part of her arm for, I don't know, I, yeah. it may not have been the entire time. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I feel like it just kind of showed up when he poked the dead thing. Yeah, it does um, seem that way. And like that triggered something in this lady. Anyway, well, it's... <laughs> I, I wonder if it's a thing where she is being possessed by uh, the fetishist in some way here. It could be. Which is something we don't really know at this point can happen, but definitely uh, does happen much later. So it could have something to do with that. I, I've never been totally clear on exactly what happens with this lady and, and why she suddenly... Uh, becomes infested and goes after him because she corners him and they have a brawl. Yeah. She's got this, like I call it Akira hands. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which I wonder if that's why we're, if that's where he got the name Tetsuo from. It could totally be because especially when he's doing, or when, when he has all of these mutations happening under his suit, it does definitely have a lot of the flavor of uh, the animated Akira. Mm -hmm. which would have been pretty recent to this. Like, I think that I was, think it was like just a couple years, years earlier. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And I mean, the manga of it already existed as well. Of course. So I, I do feel like Tetsuo is kind of a reference to that, just in the severe mutations he's undergoing all the time mm -hmm. here. Uh, so she corners him. We we see just like a really cool shot of her punching toward his screaming mouth. Uh, and then there's just this really intense fast motion sequence of him running home. One of many, like of the ones yep, we were talking yep. about earlier. Those are so cool every time. Now, is this where... <laughs> so he gets home. Is this where he's being strip-teased uh, Well, first, uh, she like wrenches up the garage door uh and oh right the lady's still chasing her him yeah yeah uh and this is where like they have a battle and they do like a hard hug and and like he puts his arms around her and like crushes and there, there's like it sounds like bones cracking and crushing and that's when like we see the pilot or whatever kind of like i it, it seems like there's some damage or there's smoking yeah, there there always seems like there's something going on in there. Like I I wonder if it's supposed to be um the the fetishist uh in his cocoon. Oh, that could be. Cuz that is totally possible cuz we we will learn 
I I, sh- I I I talk about these things being much later. This movie is like less than seventy minutes. I think it's like oh, sixty four minutes. Yeah, sixty minutes. I would not be able to take like seventy or two hours of this. Yeah, like it's it's very intense and a lot of stuff happens. So like much later is you know fifteen twenty minutes. Uh, but. I, I do wonder if that could be uh, the thing that he, this is supposed to be representing him piloting her uh, from a distance through some That's sort of network. Sort of the impression that I got a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess like him crushing the bones or whatever uh, severed the link with him or whatever. And, and so that that's why. It showed him in like smoking and not quite uh, in control anymore. Oh, and then something. Okay, and then that's why. And this is when Tetsuo's uh, feet turn into rockets, and he just blasts around town with his eyes closed, which is so cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he just gets these rocket feet, and then I I don't know if this is a nightmare or if this happens. Or if this is even what comes next, but at some this point, is totally what comes next. If you're talking about the dominatrix and vacuum hose, get, and... <laughs> yeah, he's getting seduced by a woman, uh, really hot, really sexy. Except her tits are just—they're not tits; they're made out of like coiled, bundled wires. Yeah, it's like and, a tech bra. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and she has a giant. Uh, prehensile and like she had full control over it uh vacuum cleaner attachment penis yeah i i uh, have it in my notes as a vacuum hose cod piece uh, <laughs> and tetsuo is like on the floor scrubbing it uh while she dominates him like she she rides on his back and yeah, like, she does like a sexy dance eventually I, I just remember like messaging you saying, oh, so she's doing a strip tease for this guy. And then uh, 30 seconds later, oh, it's not a strip tease. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep, everything uh, starts melting <laughs> and the pe- penetration with the vacuum thing happens. The tentacle of the tube enters him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he kind of like I think that's what ends it. And he wakes up and it may have been a dream. Maybe because now he's I think now he's with his actual girlfriend. Yeah, well, like first he gets up and he looks in the mirror and we see that his face is a lot more abraded uh, and it's full of those metal bits that spurt blood. And I I think this is when you sent me a screenshot of it, when it it gets into a close up and we can see gears beneath his flesh and he Mm -hmm. screams. It's a very intense image. It, it's mm-hmm. like super well done considering how low budget this must have all been. Like all of this stuff looks really good. Uh, really there's, gross. There's a, there's a few that I think don't look great towards the end, but yeah, there's, there's some stuff that looks a little janky, but for how cheap it must've been and for like 89 with all practical, it looks pretty impressive a lot of the time. Oh yeah. Especially like the smaller stuff that they do. Yeah. Like just like coils of wire just coming out of his face or whatever. Yeah. And like it has an animator's attention to detail and it does feel like an animated film in a lot of ways. Uh, like 
all of those sequences of them rocketing around are like a series of stills with them just like sped up to appear like movement because it's just them blasting around everywhere uh and it, it does feel like that sort of uh anime approach with just tons and tons of detail and a lot of uh just weird little bric-a-brac mm-hmm. and this is when we smash cut to a weird foreplay scene oh yeah is this like with the the sausages yes it is <laughs> Uh, and he finds himself really turned on by her teeth scraping on the fork when he's feeding her sausages. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like Cronenberg's Crash version of mukbang. <laughs> Just this really gross but exaggerated sexy eating sequence. It's very troubling. Uh, there's a bit where she like licks the sausage and it sounds like metal. It sounds like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> uh, and then he gets so excited that his dick turns into just a giant terrifying drill and it bores a hole through the table. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a, it's, we're not talking like a, like a handheld power drill. We're talking like, you know, that thing in the Ninja Turtles that the shredder always used to escape. Yeah, it's like one of those. Yeah. It's just a huge borer. Uh, and, like, it's it's very nasty looking with lots of, like, all, all sorts of rivets. And, yeah, it, it oh, it's, it's very frightening. And, yeah. Uh, and all sorts of stuff just starts bursting out of his body under his clothes. Uh, and, and, again, like, it does have sort of a Tetsuo and Akira sort of feel to it. Just all of, like, these... I, I guess squibs and stuff just like bursting up uh, like jelly under the suit. And it's really cool, really gross. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and he runs and hides in the bathroom. And, and here she's like, whatever it is, I can take it. You can tell me I can take it. Yeah, and he's like, I don't scare easily. And he thrusts out his hand uh, and like it's become like the creature from the Black Lagoon glove, but all cyber tech stuff really cool looking <laughs> yeah his figures are like just vestigial at this point but they're still there yeah uh, but she's still she's like she breaks down the door to see anyways uh and pulls the towel off his head and she's like nothing shocks me uh and so we finally get to see his new face <laughs> it's um which is wild like it, it's just yeah. it's mostly metal he's just sort of a mound of metal because like all the metal is kind of uh becoming part of him like he's Mm -hmm. becoming a metal collective yeah so she screams Mm -hmm. so much for being able to take it which you know yeah he's like it's terrifying and he comes after her with the drill running yeah so they end up having fight sex death yeah so first she fights him and like there's the hot pan that's still on the hibachi and she like burns him with that and she gouges his leg uh but like more and more stuff just keeps coming out of him and uh, a tentacle takes the frying pan away from her oh yeah Uh, And then we get this really creepy insert of just like a CRT TV screen and it's 
his face giggling, but like in his original like salary man form. He's doing like a childish <laughs> giggle. Uh, and then that's when the industrial music just really jams in and he rises up with the, the drill spinning. Oh yeah, right. Like like like, Very like the Terminator tense. just showed up. Yeah, like this really frightening shot. Uh, and she stabs him a whole bunch of times, but it seems like metal no longer harms him anymore. Like she's stabbing a bunch with a fork, I think. She's just stabbing the flesh. That doesn't matter anymore. Right. Uh, and very gross line. He says, you want a taste of my sewage pipe? Uh, <laughs> and she stabs him really deep in the throat. Uh, with, and it seems to kill him at first, but like, then she gets into it. (laughs) (laughs) And so like, she's, she gets on top of him. She's very slowly pulling out the knife and she licks his eye, (laughs) (laughs) which was like, I, I remember I like, this is another thing I've seen in, uh, really weird Japanese film of this era, the 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 eyeball licking thing. <laughs> no, 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 no eye stuff. Uh, and they both like he kind of comes back to life, and they get into it and start making out. And uh, obviously, there is still the the drill, which is yeah, his dick. Uh, and it's still uh, going. Whew, uh, and. She is horribly killed. Uh, blood oh. sprays absolutely everywhere. Uh, it's incredibly gruesome. Uh, although, like, you don't see a- a- any, like, a- actual direct interaction. You just see blood going absolutely yeah, everywhere. Yeah, you, yeah, you don't see him shredding her or nothing. Yeah, yeah, no, it's just the the obvious conclusion of blood everywhere. Uh-huh. Uh, and we see Tetsuo then get into the bath and it like smokes and steams as he lowers himself in because he's just all machinery now. Yeah. Um, oh, he every now and again, he'll like grab a fork and jam it into a light socket. Uh, I think that happened a few times, like with the girlfriend. Yeah. And like it seems to power him in some way. Or excite him. Uh, or both. Or excite him, made of both, quite likely. Uh, he does try to pull some of the stuff out of him when he's in the bath, but there's just so much of it. Like, it's just coming out of everywhere. Uh, and we get this really interesting, like, a lot of inserts of just, like, fuzzy, lo-fi, old CRT screens. Uh, in, in this one, there's a doctor saying, it's amazing you've survived with this piece of metal in your brain, but if you remove it, you'll die. I feel like that could be... That feels I wonder like that was from the antagonist's from. view. That's it what I think. Be. It could totally be, but, like, I don't know... Like, maybe that's how he got his metal fetish in the first place, is he has this piece in his brain? Maybe. Well, the movie certainly doesn't tell us. No, no, we have no idea. <laughs> uh, but this is when we catch up with him again. Uh, because yeah, it, it turns out he's alive. Web. Yeah, he, he's in this web of tubes and he's woven into his home like a spider in a nest. Uh, and he pulls out the, the, the original uh, rebar piece uh, and it's like it detaches him from it. It's like he removes a key and he's just like screaming naked, detached from all of the pipes on the floor. 
so much of what you're describing, like, honestly flew by in a second before I could even process it. So I'm like, yep, I'm it, sure this happened. One thing there is it's very Matrixy. Uh, it's it's quite a lot like Keanu getting uh, dumped from like or getting getting detached from the Matrix initially. Oh, yeah. Uh, and this movie does have a lot of all of that uh, techno stuff, uh, and like it is a movie about transformation. I I do wonder if it is uh, one of the big influences on the Matrix because I've looked into some of the documentaries, but not a lot of it. Interesting. I, I could see I could see that. I could yeah. see that. In um, the meantime, so Tetsuo has become just a, this hulk of metal. Uh he he puts the girlfriend in the bathtub. Uh and this is when he like leans over to her and like a a, a tube comes out of his mouth and he transfers oil or something into her mouth. Oh, I forgot about that part, but yep, that's happening. I don't know what that part is about. It's just really weird. I don't know weird. what any of it's about. So the phone rings, and there's a caller who says he knows all about him, and he calls him a metal freak. Oh, uh, yeah, right. This is when we finally get the reveal. Uh, the TV in his house replays the hit and run, and we see him and the girlfriend disposing of the body together and having sex in the woods. So, like... It was them it's turned on by disposing of the body. Yeah. This is not a hit and run. It's a hit and take the body and stick it somewhere and yeah, bury they, it and don't make sure he's dead. And then, like, they were turned on of, of, of over it and had sex in the woods right after it, next to the body. So, weird couple. A strange relationship. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but... Uh, but our uh, our villain villain I don't know saw the whole thing. Yeah, I I I would say he's one of our romantic protagonists. Villain slash romantic lead, <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and here we we get a close up of him applying makeup, uh, doing his makeup for the big battle. Yeah, he's getting so like he's getting himself gothed up. Well, it's kind of like. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a really interesting look that he has. Uh, and, and this is played by the director, Shinya Tsukamoto. It's a pretty cool uh, first role as well. Uh, and he goes on just a really awesome stop motion rampage. He's just like sliding around town and tearing up metal. Uh, it's it's yeah, very Magneto. He, yeah, he he has magnet powers, uh, whereas Except they're whereas like Salary rust. Man does not. Yeah, they're magnetic, but they're rust. Like he has rust powers. Oh, he he all right. degrades and he can turn metal. things into like well, little like, but shitty metal. Yeah, like he absorbs them into him. Um, <clears throat> and like in Tetsuo's apartment, we see everything metal just starting to implode or fly towards him. Like he's just absorbing all of it. Like. Like, uh, uh, what's, what's the, uh, like a Katamari game. <laughs> oh, like okay. Katamari. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Except he's not moving. At he's, this he's point. A, yeah. He's a metal Katamari. Um, and the fetishist shows up outside. Uh, and with this is flowers. where we, he shows up with flowers, uh, and he puts his hand on a water tap and he absorbs it and pulls it up out of the ground with the pipes which was really cool. Uh, yeah. And I guess 
he can transform and travel through the pipes, I believe is what happens here. Uh, the, the kitties all, uh, <laughs> the, the effects of the cats with the metal stuff on them is really adorable. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's it's supposed to be a horrifying moment. It's like the, the cats are also becoming one with the metal. But it, it's just some cats with, like, some toy trucks and stuff on them. <laughs> uh, I love cats. Love cats. Um, so, because w- what happens is the girlfriend's corpse gets up and starts stabbing him. And then it turns into just this weird organic mass and then resolves itself back into the fetishist. Uh, which I, I assume he can just transform and travel through spaces as rust. I think so. Like, I, I assume that's uh, sort of the anime power that he has ended up with. Uh, and it would probably make more sense visually in animated form. Well, like that's... it mostly does come across here, but if this yeah. were in an animated form, I kind of feel like it would come across more clearly. Uh, and I think that's what makes this really weird, hard-edged, industrial uh, live-action take so interesting and so crazy to look at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, oh, somehow they end up at a factory. Well, first, he gets up really close. They they get face-to-face. And he's, he tells him that soon your brain will turn into metal. And he's like, I'll show you a whole new world. Uh, and they, I I think, like, we, we get this weird insert. It's It's like an industrial metal music video of just someone being consumed by metal down to the skeleton. And I don't know if that's happening to Tetsuo or if that's just, like, a vision of things to come. Oh. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, but it's time for the big battle. Their their punches are just huge. They they they'll be sent flying for blocks uh, whenever they go. Whenever there's a hit. Oh yeah, right. And they and when they're flying th- through the air, they do that cool that stop motion transport that like going yeah. through the streets thing again. They go rocket skating together. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we we replay the insertion of the screw or coil or whatever. Uh, and it seems like both of them are blasted in opposite directions. Uh, and the fetish is just like covered in dirt, but like in that stop motion way again, too. So it's just like, oh, yeah, it's just dirt like dirt just kind of appears on him, kind of. It was really weird. Yeah. Uh, and but we're not so, done. No, because this is where they end up in the factory. And the fetishist just starts bringing an abandoned factory to life around Tetsuo. Uh, and he does it just like he's shaking his fist to some really, yeah. <laughs> some really he's, banging he's, industrial music. <laughs> he, he's, oh, man, I wish I could. I wish I could, like, show you. But he's doing this thing like. Like the the villains always do when they close their fists, like the world is mine. But he does it so much, he's just like fist, fist, fist. <laughs> and yeah, every time and he closes seems... his fist, more shit goes to the salary man. Yeah, it's like a magical gesture that's like awakening this entire factory. Uh, and he turns his arm into a flamethrower, super rad. Uh, and so this is he he talks about the difference between their mutations, and this is like. 
so, there's so little dialogue in this movie that I maybe have all of it in my notes. <laughs> I might have memorized all the dialogue because there really is only like there's so 12 little. sentences spoken. Most of it's pretty impactful, too. Oh, it's uh, all important. Yeah. Uh, so he says that their mutations differ uh, because the fetishist's implant had rust in it. So it went rusty, and that's why he has his rust powers. Uh, but Tetsuo's, like, his infection comes primarily from, I guess, the first point of metal contact post-infection was uh, his shaver, which is stainless steel. Yeah, so, so he won't rust. He won't rust, and that that's why, like, he just has this ultra-metal uh, attraction, I guess. Uh, and so, like, the fetishist does, a, like, a rocket charge at him, and then uh, Tetsuo stops him with a whole bunch of wire tentacles. Oh, yeah. So, so let, okay, now we can talk about the rocket boots, because yes. they're not boots. No, they're They are they're tubes coming out of the dude's feet, out of, like, like, the back of his feet. Yeah, and it looks gross, but it's so cool. <laughs> it looks so cool. I was like, I almost want that. You'd really get around town, you know? <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, it's like, I just want boots that do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, that would do. I, uh, yeah, the, the, I, I don't want to, like, because, man, what do I do? Do I take off my feet when I go into the bathtub? Do I just uh, not have baths anymore? I guess I mean, this is what, uh, what, what our heroes have to deal with. Tetsuo did get in the bath. He just, like, steamed and smoked a lot. Yeah, I yeah. guess. Uh, with, with him all, uh, tentacled up in wires, he yells at him, fuck you. Don't you understand? Your future is metal. <laughs> just awesome. I'm, awesome. I'm just expecting to hear this, like, 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 uh, like Slayer or something. But like at any time, just some big riff could start and it would fit. Always. <laughs> uh, and so Tetsuo drill, <laughs> the drill dick, he buzzsaws through the fetishist. And, you know, you think this might kill him, maybe. But obviously he just fills the wounds back up with rust. Uh-huh. Uh, he's like, you want to rust yourself to death? Uh, and they, they come together. <laughs> they... they become entwined. I think they pierce each other with drill dicks at Something first, like and that. then, like they, and then they kind of just, yeah, they, they just merge kinda fuse together. They they, merge. they become this tech cocoon together, and the exact same saxophone part from when he got hit by the car earlier <laughs> plays. <laughs> it's not that, but it could be that. <laughs> it could be. Uh, it's it's a similar flavor to that. Uh, and it shows them floating nude, upside down, face to face. And they have a shared umbilical arm of technology, which is really weird. Uh, cool, cool image. And then is after, after that is where we get to them, um, I guess, the end, right? Yeah, they're reborn into this tank thing. <laughs> it's a tank thing. Um the the fetishist's head is at the top, and uh, the salaryman's head is like just kind of stuck in the middle. It's pretty much the crotch. 
It's the crotch. Pretty much, oh, he, I guess so. Yeah, I, I just couldn't tell because they didn't have legs. <laughs> yeah, kind of. It, like it, it becomes a, a tank at the bottom. But uh, yeah. Tetsuo says, "Oh, I feel great." <laughs> what, what? Something like our love will destroy the fucking world, and the salary man's like, "That sounds nice." There's two lines that he gives. It's, uh, "We can rust the world into the dust of the universe. Our love can destroy this whole fucking world." Uh, and then they go blasting around town together in their new tank form, uh, which rules. Uh, and then. Uh, instead of the end, in big static letters, it's game over. <laughs> so <cool>. Yes. <laughs> and that's uh, it. <laughs> and that, that is it. And, like, it's very fast. Like, it is 64 minutes. It happens very quickly. And it is nonstop the it whole time. It is nonstop. Like, like, I'm focusing on, like, the things that happen. You're describing visuals that I don't even remember seeing. And I, wa- I didn't even <laughs> watch this 24 hours ago. I watched this like not long ago at all, and it's like I, I that went by too fast for me to have seen it. Oh, I didn't register that one. Oh yeah, I mean, so much happens so quickly, and and there's so many quick images. <clears throat> uh, a lot of images uh, just are single flashes, and then you don't see them again. Uh-huh. Uh, and sometimes those are important, like important stuff happens <laughs> in those those seconds. Yeah, yeah. Um... I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I didn't get high before watching this. I, I, I would not have been able to do it. I would have had to shut it off. It's too intense. Yeah, it, it's uh, unless you've seen it a bunch of times, it's That's it's it. just too much to go in. I love it. I almost watched the second one right afterwards. Right, like it's just it's wild. It, it goes so hard. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of my all time favorites. Completely. Uh. I, I think it has a lot of interesting stuff to say uh, about, uh, like, I, I think it's talking about the whole salaryman culture thing. Uh, it definitely seems to be uh, addressing queer issues and particularly being at the end of the 80s. I think a lot of this probably uh, has to do with uh, the AIDS crisis. Uh, I, I I don't know exactly, I don't know how to get into it too deeply, but that definitely seems to be an issue that is being... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it's definitely a possibility there. Um, everyone who fucks gets fucked. Yeah, and like, uh, I, yeah, and and then just like the one character whose power is just rust, and he fills his wounds with rust and all of that. Uh, it, it definitely uh, suggests something along those lines. Uh, but yeah, this movie is oh god, awesome. yeah, oh my holy shit. Uh, this movie is there's so much to think about like it's completely one that after you've watched it you like smoke a bong and think about it because there's so much Mm -hmm. it's just Mm -hmm. it's intense uh it's very grody it's shot like a nightmare like it's not shot like a movie it's shot like somebody's just recording a nightmare they had yeah and like just the the way it uses all the old video inserts and like the the cracked TV stuff uh, really in, increases the menace of it. It kind of starts to feel like your nightmare because it's so intense and all of it is uh, so focused. Like it it never does let up, not once. No, no. It's like we're describing scenes where they're having breakfast or talking on the phone. 
Um, and those scenes are these intensely aren't weird. Scenes. No, they're weird. They're strange. Because, like, like, that scene, it, it's the two of them just saying, hello, 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 hello. And just, like, cats then, are crawling around him. There's yeah. all sorts of, st- like, just techno stuff happening in the room. It's weird. And, and then we go right back to blink and you miss it craziness. Yeah. Very, very fast. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, a huge... I'm sure I missed a lot for blinking. Oh, very likely. Like I've watched this at least a dozen times and I'm always picking up new stuff and it's a 64 minute movie. This is just great. Totally awesome. No time is wasted in those 64 minutes. This is, no. this is the length, the exact length the movie needed to be. Yep. Uh, so I, for me, I would say it's an absolute recommend it's just so good uh, it's a recommend but be careful going in um yeah beware there's some intense there's some <sighs> very intense a, a lot of it is yeah it's constantly maybe, maybe watch it with a friend yeah maybe maybe watch it with somebody who you can just kind of be like Holy i don't know shit. <laughs> yeah um ev- but like any time at any point in the t- in time even though it does go so fast you could pause the screen anywhere and you've mm. got a masterpiece frame right there yeah like every anywhere. shot looks so cool even if it also looks so gross like mm-hmm. every shot <laughs> uh kitty yeah, oh. kitty oh, uh, her on the microphone could hear her on the mic yeah um so we uh, here, since this is a box set, we have the question, do we next go on? Yes, to more, Tetsuo more next yeah. Tetsuo. Yes, I, I figured <laughs> I, I figured it, it had to be a yes. Uh, like, I, I mean, I might just watch so it tonight bad. anyway. Right on. <laughs> uh, so uh, ready to move on to our second part. Yes, I'm ready. Let's <laughs> take a break and move on to the next part. Okie doke. Okay, and we're back for our second section. Uh, and so last week we kind of talked about a couple different movies that we were potentially interested in doing for the second part. We did end up mutually watching a couple. Uh, so we did talk about, or we, we watched both Commando Ninja and Blind Fury. Uh, so first we want to talk just briefly about Commando Ninja because there's not a lot to say about it. It's a good, it's fun to watch, but yeah, no, there, there's very little discussion to be had. Uh, I guess one thing to start with, it opens exactly the same way as Blind Fury with Vietnam uh, and a, a crew of people in Vietnam being ambushed by ninjas. Uh, oh, we've yeah, got those Vietnamese ninjas. That's Vietnamese ninjas, or are they? I don't know who they work with or why they're in Vietnam. They're just, ultimately, you know, that's a good point. I think these ninjas work for the highest bidder. I also think the writers didn't think about it that hard. Probably did not think about it that much. Uh, there's this one guy who just tells racist jokes. That's his thing, uh, and he gets his arm blown off by the ninjas, uh, which was kind of funny. Uh, and our commando ninja guy is 75% Arnold in commando and maybe like 25% snake eyes slash Wolverine. Yeah, that sounds about right. And so like he became a commando ninja by tra- being trained by whoever captured them. <laughs> this, this Vietnamese oh, yeah, general. This, who, yeah, he's like, I'm going to just. He decides to randomly train this American prisoner of war 
that he's captured. Yeah, um, and not sure how or why. Well, it we, when when we were watching it, it, it occurred to us that it seemed like the origin of Splinter because it seemed like he was just doing the same moves as Hamada Yoshi. Oh my God! I <laughs> like I he's think in you're the right. cage. He's <laughs> he's in the cage doing the same moves and. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of the same thing Holy there. Holy shit, this is... Yeah, because he's in a cage when he's watching this guy. Yeah. Just like the rats in the cage watching Hamato Yoshi. We're talking about the first Ninja Turtles movie there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's actually a direct reference. I, yeah, yeah, I think gotta so. Gotta be, gotta be. Because this movie is completely packed with references, and it doesn't lean on them the way some would. Yeah, this is this is an 80s movie that was filmed in 2018. Yeah, uh, we've got our other one of the other guys from the Vietnam unit is a cyborg guy who uh, whenever we see him in like the present, he's in a pizza delivery outfit. He kind of looks like uh, Mario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's this little Home Alone girl. Uh, who's the daughter of the Commando Ninja. And she has all yeah. the coolest 80s toys. Just like this and huge array of them. Yep. Famous uh, 1980s toys for 1986 that this thing takes place in. Such yeah. as uh, Super Mario Brothers 3, which definitely was around in 1986. Uh, what else did she have? There's so much stuff that's There's like so much. deliberately anachronistic. Oh, it's, it's... For sure. <laughs> I just because looked time at travel's involved in this movie as well. Yeah, but the time travel's not why she's got Mario 3 there. Mar- no. Mario 3 is there for people like me who can be like, ha, Mario 3 shouldn't be there. Yeah, exactly. It's it's deliberately it's... there to, to like mess with the timeline <laughs> completely. Yeah. And just to, for her to have all of the coolest shit for toys, like when you were around that age, just, mm-hmm. she can have all of it, everything. <laughs> Uh, and she's just super like kidnappers come in uh, the the cyborg guy in the pizza delivery outfit uh, kills her mom uh, but she's just like super into it she's like oh my oh my god kidnappers to fight uh, she's thrilled yeah she she makes the home alone face <laughs> yeah and then and then <laughs> just starts setting up like this complicated home alone trap with uh, with like a shotgun. Yeah, with a shotgun, uh, and we get a really fun head explosion of a ninja. <laughs> or no, like, th- this one, I-, I think it just hits the shoulder, and it- that one goes down the stairs. But uh, there are a-, a handful of really fun head explosions in this movie. Like, they use good, gushy, practical effects. To yeah, good, good bad effects. Yeah, lots yeah, of squibs. Really lots of squibs. Uh, and obviously, so she does end up still getting kidnapped because the cyborg guy, uh, I guess, is impervious to a shotgun blast. Uh, and so Commando Ninja has to come to the rescue. Uh, the the metal arm or the, the racist jokes guy shows up and he now has a metal arm uh, and he recruits Commando Ninja or doesn't recruit him. But like, you have to go rescue your daughter. You need to get back into the you need to get back for one last job. One last job. One last job. They got your wife. <laughs> nice. They also got your daughter. Oh, shit. 
So he has to fly to the rescue. Uh, and it's Commando. Like, it is basically just Commando. Uh, the the big climax of Commando when they go to... I think, I think it is the same country. Um, yeah, well... Maybe like, they, I I feel like we looked it up when we were watching it. Like, oh yeah, the country they named is the same made-up country from Commando. Yeah, I can't remember what it was, but you're I right. I can't remember. That's, yeah, yeah, uh, it's the same made-up one. And it's just the same sort of stuff. Just him with infinite bullets, and just him being just, impervious to all of them. Yeah, while standing right at the open, and all these guys are shooting at him, and none of them hits him, but he just waves his gun around, and they all die. It's that. Uh, some of them hilariously, <laughs> just mm-hmm. like big gushy explosions. Uh, so he ends up fighting his way through all of them, and they're they have a showdown on the roof. <laughs> the daughter puts a grenade into the main bad guy's pants. Oh uh, yeah, right. Oh, that bad guy <laughs> with his laugh. <laughs> yeah, well, he has a huge villainous laugh hanging from the rope of the helicopter while it flies around for a while before it explodes before like the grenade explodes what was he doing wasn't he supposed to be taking the girl in the helicopter with him i don't know what anybody's plan was or anybody's motivation or why anyone does anything in this movie none of it makes any sense like there there is like it, it is a collection of 80s references for fun yeah, like, the whole movie is basically, okay, here's the scene from Predator, now here's the scene from Commando, um, now the world's longest ninja fight. Yeah, and that's the next thing, and it just goes on forever. It it does feel like a huge portion of the movie, uh, and I I'd have, say it is the biggest failing of the movie. Oh, absolutely. The, the, it's not a good fight. Um, and, and it just goes on and on. And we we have no motivation. Like, I don't know who this time traveling invisible ninja is supposed to be or why we would care. Turns out it's his wife. Yeah, it's the ex-wife again from another timeline. Oh, right. From another timeline. Yeah. And she's uh, all like, we can be a family again. And then uh, he cuts her head off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there's a big comical uh, arterial spray. Uh, and he has to go to the future where he finds the daughter, but she's grown up and sexy and Swedish now, I think. Yep, she has an Swedish. accent. Yeah. Um, we have our, now we have the Mad Max scene. Yeah. And the metal arm guy shows up again. Uh, or, yeah, oh, that actually, was... that's right at the end. First, the, right. He has to battle those, the, the bad guys. There's like three dudes There's in like... Yeah, there's a few of them. They've got, like, really bad Mad Max outfits that are just football gear and bike tires. Yeah, completely that. Um, And they make very short work of them uh, between him and the daughter who has a crossbow and also the the cyborg guy, the pizza delivery cyborg guy who's now been reprogrammed and is her protector, I guess. Yeah, he's good now. And then, of course, just, to, you know, for the final thing, uh, the metal arm guy shows up in a time-traveling Firebird. <laughs> it has the oh, yeah. Back to the Future almanac on the dash. The sports almanac that uh, Biff mm-hmm. builds his empire with. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there's a big outrun sky. It's it's a very big, silly, goofy ending. But, you know, it's it's fun. It's a good climax. But, like, you definitely lose so much momentum in that 
endless fight sequence that just doesn't matter. I, I, I feel like I liked the fight sequence because it was bad. Because mm. I, I feel like it was intentionally this bad and this long. And, and also that's when the pot kicked in. That's when the brownies kicked in. Oh, right. Yeah. And I was just like, this <laughs> fight scene is mesmerizing is what I wish I could say, but it isn't. Even in my current inebriated state, I'm not really into this. But yeah, there's that's pretty much it. There's really not much else to say about Commando Ninja. <laughs> it's fun. Um, it's totally fun. It it's, works. It's, it's very enjoyable. Like, it's quite short. I think it's 80 minutes, maybe less. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know. 15 of those are one fight. Yeah, 15 of those are just that one fight, and it didn't need to be, but... A lot of the other stuff is a lot of fun. I, I could have done I, like 15 minutes just looking at all the toy shit in the daughter's room instead. That would have been more fun than the the, the long fight. Or, or 15, yeah, like more of her home aloneing it with... Sure. Uh, with the ninjas. More of her, yeah, yes. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, there, there's a lot of places that they could have spent more time, but that probably would have cost more where just this one fight in this one location was pretty easy to do. I mean, it's supposed to be a dramatic fight on a rooftop, but they're just on a single story house. Yeah, they're just on someone's house. <laughs> and I think that is the gag there, too. But, you know, it's a long time. It's a big yeah. chunk of the movie, a big chunk of real estate. Uh, Fun right, movie, so, though, but yeah. yeah, not much to talk about. Yeah, it's fun. It's it's totally worth a watch, especially if you uh, did grow up in the 80s and early 90s. There's a lot of that stuff there. and Like, you'll get the references without being beat over the head with them. Mm-hmm. Like, like, yeah, that's right. They don't wink at the screen when they do their references, which I like. Yeah, they're just there. there there's tons of them. They're everywhere. You, you just will get them if you're from that era. And if not, then... It's fine. There's probably not much to, not much for you in this movie. Well, very silly gore. Like if you're a fan of like Canon 80s pictures, this is very much in that vein. Like it's it's aping what Canon were doing in the 80s. Okay, okay. Uh so I guess let's move on to our other like our our main second feature of Blind Fury, which as well opening Vietnam. It's uh <laughs> Yeah. Dr. Hauer and his platoon, uh, including Frank Devereaux, who's Terry O'Quinn and is our other main character from the military or from Nam. Uh, and the two of them are both badly hurt uh, right at the end of their tour of duty. So Rutger Hauer is Zatoichi. Yep, basically. Not just um, ba- not basically. No, he, he is. is. This is Zatoichi. a Zatoichi movie. This is specifically a remake of the 17th Zatoichi film, Zatoichi Challenged. Oh. Yeah, so this one is a direct remake of a specific Zatoichi film, no less. Okay, okay. Uh, So he's uh, Nick Parker, and he's a Vietnam vet who was blinded in uh, a firefight, like, right at the end of his tour of duty. We we learn this later on, but we can kind of just give the origin story now, because it doesn't really make a difference to when it's told yeah uh so he and his friend frank uh were both in this last firefight uh but nick or rutger hauer ends up a pow but much like commando ninja for whatever reason the guy decides to, or the the vi- a village takes him in in this case and they teach him 
the ways of the ninja. Yep, we uh, actually it's a, it's a very similar sequence. All the movies it's that we watched similar. that night had Vietnam veteran yeah. origin stories. Right, because we we also rewatched Tough Guys Don't Dance. <laughs> I, we had a friend over. I had to show him. <laughs> People have to see that movie. Yeah, totally. Uh, so. Uh, one of my favorite little bits right at the beginning is uh, Rutger Hauer uh, stepping over a croc or a, a, an alligator and saying "nice doggy." <laughs> yeah, that was cute. A good little bit. I I would have liked. What, one of my kind of minor complaints about the movie is it, I I wish it weren't this big cross country thing. I sort of wish it just took place in one state, like and really delved into just that state as a location because like just like the zadoichi in florida usually do right totally and like a zadoichi in florida that would have been pretty interesting like as a specific zadoichi noir setting in a in an interesting way but or even zad like just zadoichi in reno yeah reno would be good too uh and I, as we were saying when we got to the end of this, like could totally have watched more of these. It's too bad there weren't more. And I feel like maybe if it had had more of a single place, could have been. I don't know. It's too bad there were not more of these. Yeah, yeah. We like we both, all of us at the end were like, yeah, I could watch another one. Yeah, but we can't. So the story here is that Howard is uh, going to visit. Devereaux, uh, Terry O'Quinn's character, because uh, I, I, I don't know if he's like just now back in the U.S. after years of training or something. That's kind of the impression I got. Yeah. Uh, but we find out that like, like he just showed like he's. Yeah, like he's he's fresh in the U.S., I think, at this point. It does seem to be because like maybe that's why he's coming up through Florida is that. Like he he's taken a boat here or something. Who knows? Uh, we we have no clue about any of his background between Vietnam and the start of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like he's going to see Frank Devereaux, played by Terry O'Quinn, although we won't see him till much later in the movie. Uh, and he finds out that he's missing. Uh, and also later we'll we'll learn that he has been kidnapped as a meth chemist, uh, much like. Heisenberg in Breaking Bad, he's just like being kept in a lab to make blue meth for someone. Yep. Um, so here we have our evil Yakuza of the of the week. Right, Slag. Uh, some... Slag. Yeah, he... Slag <laughs> and his redneck army. Well, first he shows up with two corrupt cops. Which I think having cops as the evil Yakuza in this would have been really cool. I totally agree. That That's sort of the thing that I feel they missed out on, that they only have at the start here, and I wish there was more of it as well. Like, I do think this early sequence in Florida is maybe the strongest bit, and I kind of wish it sort of stuck with that area and it being like Crooked Cops as the 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 bad Yakuza and... I don't know that that would have been and, really. And yeah, we can have our our wealthy yakuza being the one who controls the cops. It, it works. Yeah, very easy. Or like it being the '80s, it could be a Cuban drug lord. Oh sure, yeah, totally. You know, I mean, like okay, so our villains aren't actually yakuza. No, no, they're, uh, they're just, like a mob. 
Yeah, it's this dude named Slag who has a ponytail and he's just a big, beefy, angry guy uh, who manages to escape death too many times in this movie until he doesn't. Yeah. Uh, Because in this. So Nick is visiting Devereaux's ex-wife and son. Uh, The son is played by JT from Step by Step. And he's not great. He's okay, but he's not great. I get a little sick of the kid over the course of the movie. Yeah, he's not the worst 80s child companion kid I've seen, but he's not he's not good. Yeah, like he's not terrible, but he's he's a little stinker and he's kind of annoying. Uh, But anyway, Slag, our, our chief henchman, shows up with these two corrupt cops and they kill the mom or they shoot the mom anyway. Uh, and are trying to kidnap the kid. The kid had briefly gone out to a friend's house. Uh, and Nick kills both of the cops. Uh, he he does slice a, a hand off the first time the, the cop points a gun at him. So yeah. great. Really excellent effect, too, of the, <clears throat> the hand falling and shooting the gun. <laughs> so he in the fight, he kills both of the cops. But when he goes after Slag... Slag just hilariously Kool-Aid man straight out a window. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) It's a pretty funny shot. Fuck this. I'm gone. (laughs) It's, it's very funny. Just like him crashing full bodied through a window. Uh, and the, the dying mom tells Nick to take Billy to Reno, which is where, uh, Devereaux is where, where Frank is. Yeah. Uh, so we, we get a bit of a road trip. Uh, so there, there's the <laughs> just some fun with mud puddles. There's some rock eating. They <laughs> they play pranks on each other at rest stops and stuff. Uh, yeah. The, so the mud puddle, like there, he, I can't remember exactly what happens. I think Nick falls in a mud puddle and Billy laughs at him, and then Billy falls in a much huger mud puddle and hurts himself. <laughs> and Nick. <laughs> Uh, him laughing at him just gleefully is, is really great. He's, he's really enjoying his pain. <laughs> There's another one where, uh, the kid convinces him to eat a rock that's, can- and says it's candy because he's blind. Right. So he yeah. puts it in his mouth. He's like crunch. Mm. And he pretends to swallow it. And then he spits it in his eye. <laughs> 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 Fuck you, kid. That's a dick move. I'm glad you got hit. Oh, this is pretty good. Like, I, I like the harder edge that, that Nick has as a Zatoichi that, that Rutger has as, like, Vietnam Zatoichi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so after all of this, at a rest up, finally Nick tells Billy that his mom died. Because I, I don't know exactly how, but he didn't find out about it. Uh, at the house. Yeah. I, I don't really get how that would have happened, but somehow. Uh, yeah, he, uh, for, for the first bit, he doesn't tell him that, uh, that his mom has died. And he just keeps taking him somewhere. Kid, poor kid probably thinks he's being kidnapped. Well, yeah, like, I don't really get what's going on. I, I don't get what the kid thinks is happening for a while. Cause he doesn't know who he is. Like he does know that he's taking him to see his dad. But yeah. I don't know. It's very weird. Uh, but he finally tells him about it, and Billy runs away into a cornfield. Uh, oh, right, the cornfield. Um, I'm afraid of cornfields now. 
<laughs> yeah, like you, you lose your bearings in it. It'd be hard to find your way out. Uh, amazingly, Billy runs directly into Slag. Just who's just hanging out in this random cornfield. <laughs> and like he has a gang of gun-toting rednecks who were at the rest stop and who head out into the cornfield to help in the fight. Uh, and Nick just like tears through those dudes. Yep. Um, and uh, he I also guess... he slashes the like uh, Slag is up on a is like up on a roof for like a barn or something. Uh, yeah, and... on the or a shed, and he's like trying to snipe at uh, Rutger Hauer as he comes up with the out of the cornfield. Yeah, like and he, it's he... just like whack a mole. Yeah, he uses a hat to draw his fire a bunch of times, uh, and then he slashes down the support, so the the building comes down. Uh, and he does a kill slash, like a, a two across the chest, but I guess he has some sort of vest on him, so he gets away to hench another day. Well, you can't kill your main henchman until the end. Well, I guess can, so. But... I feel like... Uh, an, a Zatoichi movie normally would, but maybe that, yeah. like, th- this could happen in number 17. I'm not sure if I've watched that one. I may have. Um, but yeah, I feel like a, this henchman in a traditional Zatoichi, no, he wouldn't last very long. Probably not. He, like, he's he's beefy, but he doesn't have much to him. They end up in a van with Annie and the bad guys. They, they get captured. Oh, right. One of the bad guys' girlfriends. It's a drop on. No, it's it's not one of the bad guys' girlfriends. It's Frank's girlfriend is Annie. Okay. Because um, one of the henchmen treats her like his girlfriend. Yeah, I think she's like just sort of uh, using them to get to, like to save him or something because she is it could be Frank's girlfriend. Uh, but yeah, I I don't quite get the what her uh what her deal is all the way but i i think someone gets the drop on rutger Hauer and knocks him out and they end up tied up in the back of the van right right yeah yeah uh and, and the really stupid bad guys yeah not th- this isn't slags man this is this is c team yeah <laughs> the c team they were, like, uh, listening to their loud, loud music and be like, oh, we're rednecks, yee-haw, as they're just driving. Yeah, and, like, one of them cuts his finger on the cane sword, so he throws it out the window. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, and, and then Wrecker Howard teaches the kid how to escape. Well, I, f- I, I really like, he's like, start counting out loud immediately. So he starts counting uh, as, as soon as the cane is thrown out so he can... Uh, so they can track down how far they go uh, to go back and retrieve the cane. Uh, and they, yeah. he he encourages him. He gets him to get out of the ropes. They start a fire in the back of the van uh, and ambush the bad guys. Uh, and Annie, uh, they like after they get the bad guys uh, just knocked out on the road. Uh, so basically, uh, Annie drives them back to the sword. So the part where they're in the van. They get out of the van, they start the fire, they ambush the bad guys, uh, and Annie, who is Frank's girlfriend, uh, so she jumps in the van to help drive them back to where the sword is, or for the no, the amount of space that he was counting. 
Right, right, because now he has a kid, I think, counting backwards. I think he just counts the same number again, uh, and then they stop at approximately that area, and they are able to find the sword again. Uh, And so they head into Reno, and I I think this is where we get that weird blind driving sequence, because that is in this van uh, that he ends up driving. Yeah, somehow he ends up driving. I think it's because the other guys, they carjack those two old ladies, uh, and they chase after them, and it's when they're retrieving the cane so they have to like rush back to the car and he ends up driving. I think maybe they kidnap Annie or something. Is this where they get the kid? I think she hops in. Um, I think she hops into the van because him and the kid are like, who's going to drive? Right. And he's like, oh, I will. Oh, right. Because he breaks her glasses. He steps on her glasses by accident. She has right. big glasses. Uh, and she's like, I can't see without my, my glasses. I can't drive. He's like, oh, I, I guess I could give it a try. Uh, so it's <laughs> yeah. a lot of fun sequence of him driving around Reno uh, in you know, some pretty big stunts, like him driving down the main, like against traffic uh, dri- down yep. the main drag. But he does manage to take out the bad guys uh, while they do their driving. He, uh, they, they, their car ends up getting flipped because they go, they ramp up another vehicle and. Uh, end up upside down uh, and uh, there, there's a funny moment when he's getting out of the car and he's like yeah maybe i should renew my driver's license <laughs> oh what happens oh gosh what happens after that now is so they leave billy at colleen's who's a friend of annie's uh, and annie right. takes nick to the casino where uh, frank is being held by a supervillain i guess uh, and we we got our requisite gambling sequence because you have to have a gambling sequence in a Zatoichi movie. Yep, um, but it's roulette though. It, yeah, it's not, um, it's not odds or evens. Right, it's it's roulette not. Roulette is hard to. This it, this doesn't quite work because you can't do roulette that way. Yeah, and. I, I think it probably speaks to why you don't get much of this sequence is that we just kind of cut to him already having made most of the money, just having a big pile of money and them cheating him because you have to have a gambling den cheat Zatoichi. You have to. And then he has to do something about it. Yeah. Depending. So in this case, because he's been winning too much, they have a button that attracts the ball to, I think it's, 22 black or something and uh he loses all the money but he slashes the both the guy's pocket with the device uh and the roulette wheel which you know pops up the 22 flashing uh, <laughs> like it's a very <laughs> obvious thing that you know they they didn't uh, hide it very well honestly it's loudly really beeping did. yeah it's <laughs> like that's why you could hear it it was beeping that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just make things not beep. Just don't yeah. put beepers in. They'll save money. It, it doesn't need to beep. Uh, that's going to draw undue attention. Uh, so Nick rescues Frank. He finds him in the building. Uh, and Frank takes uh, an important ingredient and destroys the drug lab while he's leaving. Uh, and, like, he... 
it's it's not really clear exactly how he ended up here, just that somehow he's ended up becoming this chemist for a supervillain. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know how that ended up happening, because the first time we see Frank, he's being uh, held upside down over the edge of the uh, the building. Oh, right. Yeah, much earlier. And like, I, I didn't really catch what anyone was saying there, but they were just like, yes, we are the evil guys. You are our prisoner. We are establishing that plot. Yeah, they're just oh, like threatening him. Uh, and that's, I guess, why they were getting the kid is just to keep him further in check. But yeah, why did they need the kid? I don't know, because they already had him. I guess it's to keep him from escaping. If they have the kid, he like he's really oh, kept leverage. in place. I, I guess so. Leverage. Leverage. So they go back to Colleen's. Uh, but Colleen is dead, and Billy and Annie have both been kidnapped to a mountain lair. Like, the the villain has left a note saying that he's taken them away to his evil mountain lair. And it is, you know, the evil mountain lair. Um, yeah. James Bond, at least a couple James Bond villains have used this lair. Well, this is another one that's on Truckee Lake, right by Donner Pass. I think it might be the same ski resort that's featured in Hot Dog the movie. Okay. Uh, I'm not. I'm not totally sure, but I know it's the one. Like it's another Donner Pass one. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. That's. Oh yes. That's right. I remember that now. The Donner Pass. Yeah. There's this big. Uh, and and he's got just like a big evil building on the top of it, which is cool. Uh, obviously they know it's going to be an ambush. They make some homemade napalm. They kill all of the guards on their way in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, McCready, who's our big bad guy, who I don't think we've really even met prior to this. Like he's had maybe one or two brief background appearances saying like, get those guys. I'm sick of this. Uh, right. He, he's yeah. the one. Who, he has the scene about get me Bruce Lee. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. It's like oh, Bruce Lee's dead. Well, get me his brother. And I guess at this point we get the guy that he got because there's a ninja duel because, you know, you've got to have the rival have samurai. Your- Rival samurai. It's important. Yeah. Uh, so they, their duel, uh, a hot tub gets electrified. So they're having this battle against or around an electrified hot tub, uh, which super cool. <laughs> Sam- yeah, but the samurai decides it's a good idea to, like, I don't know, take a rope or something and swing over this thing. In the yeah, he does like a fight. Tarzan swing over the over the electrified hot tub. And obviously, you know, he he ends up in it, and that's the end of him. Uh, Slag is still there, but he gets impaled on the sword. Uh, he gets the best death of the whole movie, I think. Cause <gasps> oh, yeah! <laughs> he gets the Darth oh. Maul ending. He gets Darth Mauled off of the edge of the... over the mountain. Yeah, off the edge of the mountain, we, we see, like, he gets slashed, and we see him tumbling, and the two halves fall away in different spots. It's so great. It's like, hey, they did it first. And and that's pretty much it. You know, they, they take out the bad guys. I, I think Terry O'Quinn, or no, uh, the, the kid and Terry O'Quinn, like, they, they, they end up taking out the final bad guy. Like, he's not much without his henchmen. They never are. No. Uh, and that's pretty much it. The the whole, the family is reunited. Uh, we have Billy with, and I guess Annie's going to be the new mom. They're all going to move to San Francisco together. Uh, yeah, they're waiting for Rucker Howard to get on the bus, but 
as we all know about Zatoichi, he must wander. He's just going to wander. Yeah. He, settle he, down. No. No, can't do that. Uh, so the the kid has a bit of a fit. He he gets really upset about it, and he he throws this dinosaur that he threw off a bridge earlier. Or no, he threw it. Like I don't remember how Nick ended it up. Fell with out the like the window of his bedroom or something somehow. Something like that. Yeah. Like I I remember both times it ended up falling into his hand. It's this little dinosaur statue that you know Nick gets to keep it and. JT does his little his, his goodbye speech, uh, and Nick is just down below, and he cries, even though he said earlier that his tear ducts no longer work and he's not able to cry anymore. Oh yeah, he did say that. Yeah, was he just messing with him, or probably was was this the magic of magical child or something? <laughs> I don't I hope know. Not. I I hope not too. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, it's you know, it's it's a quick movie. It's one of the big problems, I would say, the biggest problem is the way it's shot. There's so many close-ups, and you get way too much face. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's Rutger Hauer's face is great. I love Rutger Hauer's face, but I don't need this many close-ups. No. And, and, yeah, yeah, and, and it weirds me out, kind of, like, how close him and the kid got to each other. But maybe that's Constant. just because I'm in the, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I want to we say are, tail yeah. end, but we are not on the tail end of a pandemic. It keeps happening. And yeah. I don't want to be more, I don't want to feel like, being I don't in an want to be that close to a human being. Being in an ongoing pandemic, seeing Rutger Hauer and uh, JT just with their faces extremely close together, filling the entire screen uh, a lot was, was mm-hmm. a little bit much at times. That, that was kind of exhausting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, I, I quite like the movie. It, it's very fun. It's fun. Um, I definitely prefer uh, 2003's Atoichi better. Oh yeah, I mean, both the, the Katsu ones and the Takeshi ones are better. Uh, but I would have liked more of these. Uh, and oh, I think sure. Rucker Howard is a really good choice. And he's excellent. Like, he does all of the blind acting very, very well. Uh-huh. Uh, like the physicality of it in particular, like he's he's very good with that. Oh yeah, yeah. He's probably the best. He, well, he is the best part of the whole movie. Oh, definitely. Like I like Terry O'Quinn a lot, but he doesn't have a ton to do. The henchman slag is funny, but he's just a big dumb henchman. But yeah, he, he has a cigar like. though. I wanted to call him Stephen Cigar. <laughs> yeah, he's he's yeah he's like a bigger grosser steven seagal well maybe not bigger well, now he's he's bigger than steven maybe seagal not grosser then. now maybe not grosser now either yeah no <laughs> i think seagal has become grosser and bigger and <laughs> than this guy in the time since yep uh all right so i think that's pretty much everything we've got to say on blind fury uh i guess we'll uh close head on into our last portion all right Okay, so for our final section, uh, I watched a handful of stuff. Not not as much as last week. Um, first thing I watched was Schizoid, uh, which was the second half of uh, the, the double bill with X-Ray. Uh, this is one I talked about. It has Klaus Kinski uh, as the guy who runs a group therapy group. Uh, okay. 
where there's a bunch of people being murdered by murdered with scissors, uh, being stabbed to death with scissors. Uh, and so this is one of the very first slashers. This is from that first wave boom after Halloween is made in 1980. Uh, it was written in one month on behest of Golan Globus. Again, <laughs> you know, our Golan Globus guys are canon dudes. There's like, okay, we need to get in on the slasher thing. We'll give you a month to write this thing. And <laughs> it shows that it was written in a <laughs> very confusing. The characters do not make sense. Uh, and it's very, very rudimentary. Like, it's a slasher. Uh, it does all the slasher stuff. <laughs> uh, I, also right. watched, <laughs> I also watched Cotton Comes to Harlem, uh, which rules. Uh, this is very foundational black exploitation this is one of the first big ones it's from 1970 uh it's directed by aussie davis who is a pretty important figure like he gave the eulogy at malcolm x's funeral uh he's in all sorts of stuff like he's uh like he was in the stand like the the 90s one. Oh, i still he's- have a copy of that i gotta watch that Keep it because I've gotten another copy of it on, on blue since. But uh, yeah, totally watch it sometimes. It, it's pretty good. I rewatched it a few months back. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, so this one, it's it's based on a novel by Chester Himes, who's a very important 50s pulp novelist. And he wrote this series of novels about Coffin Ed and Gravedigger Jones, who are two honest Harlem police officers, uh, black police officers in Harlem. Uh, and it's. This is based on their first novel. I think it's their first. I, I've read this one. Uh, like, I have a copy of it in, like, a, an original old paperback. Uh, and I think this was the first of them. I've read a few of uh, Heim's books. Uh, this is uh, about this traveling preacher who has a scam with a bale of cotton. Uh, and he's fleecing a bunch of people with this fundraising scam uh, and there's also red fox who's running another scam in the meantime uh, but it, it's these police trying to under uncover this weird cotton-based scam okay like eighty-seven thousand dollars of laundered cash has been stashed in a bale of cotton that's gone missing and it's this cheap reverend who has been fleecing the community it's great stuff really good movie Right on. Uh, I also watched The Thing, of course, which, of you know, course. it's Carpenter's best. Uh, I, I believe I mentioned it last week. It's my favorite one, and it totally is. It's so good. Uh, just the pinnacle of effects work. Like, there's never uh-huh. been better effects. Uh, like that spider head and, man, like Borgnine screaming, it wants to be us. <laughs> <laughs> so good i absolutely love that movie and you've seen the thing i i've seen it but i wasn't i was like you fell asleep i was really tired that night we were talking about that last week that's right uh so yeah Uh that movie absolutely rules okay uh i watched the dirt bike kid uh Peter Billingsley from A Christmas Story. This is a couple years later. It's him that gets, he gets a dirt bike that's powered by rebellion. So he has to fight <laughs> okay. the police in the bank. <laughs> hey, uh, all right. It's, yeah, it's weird. He's trying to save his little league coach's hot dog stand. Uh, and I don't know. It's, it's strange. It's very anti-authoritarian. It's like E.T. if E.T. was a dirt bike. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's very dumb. The dirt bike flies sometimes. It's mostly him fighting the guy who owns the bank. Because the, the guy who owns the bank's a dirt bag. And so he's he's battling him. It's a very strange movie. Right. Uh, I watched Scorchy, which is this sort of crime exploitation movie. Uh, uh, you know, drug deal and all of that stuff. There's It's based in Seattle, which was cool. Uh, good use of locations. There's a big dune buggy chase through Seattle. Uh, cool, but very cool. hard, very hard edged. Like it's it's quite a harsh crime thriller like it's surprisingly brutal at the end uh but yeah it's it's like an undercover agent uh stopping a drug smuggling ring it's pretty straightforward in in terms of that it's uh william smith uh from seven as one of the main guys in it as well so the thing about (laughs) tough guys don't dash has ruined the word scorch for me oh yeah totally Scorchy. I can't hear that word anymore without thinking of that line. That's pretty fair. Uh, so next one, I watched Le Magnifique, uh, which I think appears on the list as the magnificent one. Uh, this is the Jean-Paul Belmondo one that I was talking about that I watched just before uh, y- y'all were visiting on the weekend. So it's him as a pulp novelist where we just see him, his rich imagination uh, while He's he imagines the comeuppance of everybody who annoys him, where he's just gunning them down as a secret super spy. There's this amazing sequence of him just like he he has a fight with a plumber. And so it cuts to his secret agent guy dual wielding machine guns and just gunning down wave after wave of frogmen on a beach. And okay. <laughs> the annoying plumber shows up on the beach and argues with him and he just destroys him. Nice. It's incredibly gory, but like comically over the top gory at times. Uh, very hilariously over the top action sequences all over the place. Even though his everyday life, when we cut back to, it, is just him in a rainy Paris apartment. It's great, uh, really fun. I I was very surprised by it because it's not one that I had heard much about before. Okay, okay but you know, right on. R.I.P. Belmondo. Really, really fucking great. Uh, I also watched Blood Ceremony, which is a Jorge Grau film. He's the guy who directed Let Sleeping Corpses Lie, a.k.a. Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. Have you seen that one? I don't feel think like we, so. It's like my second favorite zombie movie. Uh, it's, I think, in or I, I think like he is a Spanish director. I don't know if it was made in Spain or Italy, but it's supposed to be the UK uh, and it's just a zombie uprising because of this pest control system that they're using or something. Anyway, this one is his movie about Bathory, uh, the, the Countess Bathory, except it's 19th century descendants of Elizabeth Bathory. Uh, and they're, they're like, we're going to try out some bathing in blood and vampirism like our ancestors. Cause you know, this, this whole aging thing is bunk. Uh, <laughs> it's extremely bloody. Like it is a very, very bloody film. Uh, it, it does deserve blood being in the title. Uh, and there's some nasty stuff. Uh, there, there is some real animal death there. Like there's a couple sequences where they show, uh, hawks feeding on smaller birds, which is not great to see. I don't love that. Yeah, I'm not into that. Not into I, it. I did figure you would be. And I watched The China Syndrome, which rules. 
a very classic 70s paranoia thriller. Uh, pretty stacked cast. You got Michael Douglas, Jane Fonda, and Jack Lemmon. Uh, Jack Lemmon as a nuclear tech in this, I, I guess it's like a Southern California. Uh, it's basically like Three Mile Island, except Three Mile Island had not happened yet. Like this aired just before Three Mile Island, interestingly. Oh, interesting. Uh, so it's this local TV crew, Michael Douglas and Jane Fonda, doing like a little puff piece, interviewing someone at the nuclear facility. And then there's an incident there that uh, they try to cover up because it reveals a lot about the uh, fundamental lack of maintenance that they do there uh, and just the poor quality construction and anything. Uh, so it's pretty good. Uh them kind of just dealing with the system and uh, dealing with the cover-up. Very 70s paranoia thriller stuff. Talking about nuclear incidents got me thinking. This has got nothing to do with what we're talking about, but Homer Simpson, <laughs> as we know, is uh, the nuclear safety inspector at the power plant. Yeah. I Simpsons think... was released like three, like it originally came out three years after Chernobyl. Yeah, totally. I, I think, never realized that. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I think Homer is kind of based on either Jack Lemmon or Ernest Borgnine's character in this movie. Okay. Because they're people who just ended up getting hired who know nothing about nuclear stuff. It's just they worked there and they they're, they got hired by the plant uh, just uh, because they're these local guys. So I think this movie, yeah, I, I think this was uh, one of the big key inspirations for the simpsons in a weird way <laughs> didn't think i'd run into that yeah and last one of the ones i watched this week is panic beats uh which is a paul nashi film uh this one he's a descendant of one of his characters from one of his big early films uh horror rises from the tomb which is like i think early 70s so he's the descendant of this count marnak uh who i don't know had a pretty intense crazy life i don't think i've seen horror rises from the tomb his fortunes have fallen into disrepair he's married a rich heiress uh, and he's planning to kill his wife he's gotten this younger woman to help him uh but she's very bloodthirsty and she has her own plans uh and also the place is haunted uh like it's definitely like a haunted house she starts killing other people and i don't know it's it's very strange, like quite gory, but like absurdly and out of nowhere, like the handful of times it happens. Uh, it's it's a weird one. It's very grungy. It's very nashy. I don't think you've seen any of his films yet. Um, I I don't know. I am terrible at remembering. I'm pretty sure because like I, I feel like you probably just wouldn't have encountered any of his stuff. He He's a cult phenomenon. He's just this guy who looks kind of like Mike Staklasa from Red Letter Media, who's made like 80 monster movies. Oh, wow. <laughs> All-star him. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're pretty fun. And most of them are quite gory. Uh, so that's all of those. Uh, which one of those would you like to discuss next week? Oh, well, let's do the thing. Totally, I didn't have thing. to even think about that one. <laughs> yeah, no, although no, some of those like, did, those other ones, some of them did seem interesting, but yeah, there's there's a few good ones, but you gotta see the thing. I gotta watch the thing properly. The thing is probably in my top ten movies of all time. Like it's just it's so perfect. Uh, this one and The Shining 
are like my go-to snowy horror movies. And they're both perfect. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, all right, so there's a handful of additions to the stacks as well. Okay. So newly revealed from beneath those. So from under uh, Dirt Bike Kid, we've got Invisible Ghost, uh, which is a poverty row horror from the early 40s starring Bela Lugosi. Uh, he plays a kindly doctor who is hypnotized by his uh, supposedly dead wife uh, to just murder a bunch of people who, I don't know, she had problems with I, I and she seems to have gone insane and faked her death i don't know i have not seen this one but you know poverty row horror stuff sure. hypnotism uh dead wives mad killers the, all of that stuff the same kind of thing that you'd expect to see uh-huh. all right uh from the carpenter next one is christine his first uh stephen king adaptation now is this uh, the one where the the car is the monster yeah, it's a 1958 Plymouth Fury named Christine. Uh, so uh, it's like a teenager buys this car and restores it, uh, but the car is haunted and it kills people. Car, car's haunted. Yep, haunted car. Uh, I've seen this a few times and I've read the book. That's pretty good. I don't recall it being a favorite as far as uh, Carpenter goes. Okay. Uh, also added The Exterminating Angel. Uh, this one is a surrealist masterpiece. This is a Luis Buñuel film. Uh, it's so it's about <laughs> this group of high society people gather to have a dinner party, and it's just so lovely that they couldn't possibly leave. And then literally, they cannot possibly leave. They're just trapped in it. It's like this party dimension, and they can never leave the room. Uh, and the army <laughs> has to be called in, and they're just trapped in this drawing room. <laughs> Uh, it's very sounds... eerie. It's comically absurd. It's a masterpiece. I absolutely love it. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's so cool. Let's see. I will, uh, we've got The Crimson Cult, which has both Boris Karloff and Christopher Lee. Ooh. Uh, and this is uh, The Legend of Lavinia, the Black Witch of Greymarsh. Uh, and it's this guy who's looking for his missing brother. And he enlists Karloff's help. He's a local expert in witchcraft. Uh, but there's some sort of terrifying cult there, apparently. Uh, it looks cool. It's not one I've seen, but it looks pretty interesting. Okay, okay. Uh, next, we've got Video Nasties, Draconian Days. Uh, this is a documentary. It's uh, sort of a follow-up to a previous one on the Video Nasties. So this is about... Uh, the mid 80s after the initial passage of the video nasties act uh, when they just sort of cracked down on all sorts of horror in Britain in uh, the 80s. Okay. Uh, so it's it's got a lot of stuff about sort of the politics behind all of the censorship and the sort of stuff that was censored. And last one added is Offerings, uh, which is another first wave slasher. Uh, it is completely a Halloween clone. It's just it takes place on Christmas, but it's Halloween, <laughs> basically. Uh, and that's all of the additions this week. All right. Um, well, I'm looking through the list, and I see there is near the top a Gamera movie. Indeed. Uh, I don't believe I've seen a Gamera movie before. Oh, interesting. You've never seen any Gamera movie. So I don't think so. That being the case, would you want to start with the first Gamera? 
Oh, or, um, probably for the best, yep. Because uh, this would be the arrow box of the complete Gamera. Oh, okay. So th- this is the second mm-hmm. one, but uh, I could totally go back to the first one. <laughs> sure, sure. I don't even really know Gamera. Is that like a... So Gamera is, like... is a friend to children everywhere. He's... <laughs> okay. Uh, if you're looking at the image, he's the turtle with the giant tusks. Uh, he, right. he's, he's a giant turtle. He can breathe fire. Uh, he has rockets. So like he can fly with rockets that come out nice. of his turtle back. Uh, he can pretty much do anything. He can turn into a UFO when he spins really fast. Uh, kids can in later films, like in the very first one, he's more directly a Godzilla knockoff in subsequent movies. It gets much weirder and he, uh, can like carry children inside his shell and there's like rooms for them to stay in, I think. Uh, <laughs> yes. and, like the, all of the monsters in this are like heavily genetically engineered, crazy monsters. So they all have weird superpowers like Baragon there. I think he has, he has a tongue that can like fire out like a battering ram. And it also has a freeze ray. Oh. So it's that sort of kind of stuff. <laughs> all right, all right. It's a fun suit. So it's, so it's not quite Godzilla. It's, it's something else a little bit. It's it's weirder Godzilla. The first one is pretty Godzilla-esque, and then the sequels, they get further and further away from that sort of core sense <laughs> that like Godzilla has. Like Godzilla is relatively grounded, and it, like that first movie is a very sober movie about nuclear holocaust and obliteration but the gamma movies have always been much sillier okay well heck let's do let's do the first gamma if you're up for it absolutely all right so uh then next week uh we'll be talking about gamma and the thing uh both two horrifying uh monsters out of the ice uh, another good pairing nice All right. uh, So thank you so much for joining us, as always, in the stacks. Yeah, thank you. I'm sorry. I have a cat (laughs) snuggling my face right now. Kitty, kitty, kitty. All right. Um, She do a purr. Oh, we got got the purring on the thing. Nice. All right. Uh, Keep watching the stacks, everybody. Yeah. Good night.